Good morning, First Street family. Great to be here with you. Welcome visitors. Rob will be back next week to preach the word in Colossians as he continues to lead us through that great book. So if you are a visitor, don't let me chase you off. Rob will be back. So our topic this morning is the forever givenness of the whole Christ in gospel union with us. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. And if you don't normally follow along in your Bible, let's make the day different. Your pew Bible, it's the top of page 979, so everyone has one except for the one I stole. As you uh, follow along, as we read here, you'll realize you may want to keep an eye on me the rest of the morning. So realize that I'm just a man, and what you hold in your hands is the mighty word of the holy God. To us in love. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. English Standard Version. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the word of the Lord. This is the good news. Do you know why? Because this is how Jesus regards his bride, the church. Beloved bride, and this is what he gave to win her. This is how he presents her before God and all creation, even now. Purified, clean, splendorous, spotless, seamlessly presentable, holy, and without blemish, innocent. And there's only one way that miserable sinners like me could ever be presented that way before a righteous God. Here's a hint. We can't make ourselves presentable to God no matter what we might give of ourselves. And Jesus gave a lot more of himself than you might be thinking to present the church to himself in splendor. Much more about that as we go. But I want to plant a question in your mind and have it kind of hang there the rest of the morning. Does this Jesus... Sound to you like anyone interested in a marriage of convenience? You English Standard Version readers may have noticed that I have left out one little word when I was reading. Did you catch it? I left out the word up in verse 25. Here's why. The Greek here does not require that we read Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In fact, King James readers may see up in that sentence as an unwelcome addition. But both translations are good and reliable and proper and both uphold the inerrancy of Scripture because Jesus did give himself up for his bride. But there's a reason I left up out for the purposes of our talk this morning. Because... When Midwestern ears hear that Jesus gave himself up for the church, 
we tend to narrow down the thought to Jesus dying for us and maybe nothing more. We tend to contract the magnificent Jesus to fit our crippled attention span. And if we habitually narrow down the gospel to just this, that Jesus died for my sins, we may lose the whole Christ given for us. We forget in time that we are united with Christ and that our eternal salvation depends upon that fact of our union with Him. In time, we no longer marvel that He has risen with us, exalted above us, reigning over us, powerfully alive within us now, and coming one day to banish all evil and make a home and a life together with us in loving peace for eternity in glory. This is good news. But if we live for too long, according to an abbreviated gospel, bereft of these wonderful realities, Jesus becomes to us a distant figure that bought us out of hell and into heaven in some sort of a mechanical business deal. A marriage of convenience that took place a long time ago. And our hearts can grow cold. But look again at Ephesians 5.25. King Jesus gave himself for his bride, the church, because he loves her. He handed himself over, delivered himself entirely, sacrificially, permanently, the whole Christ in death that we might live, and so much more. He held nothing back to win his bride and to be inseparably united to her in love forever. Now, when this becomes real to us, we discover a great power that goes untapped in many lives in the church. The power to love Jesus and to give ourselves over to Him so completely as to live and die for Him joyfully. This morning, I hope to show you the forever givenness of the whole Christ in gospel union with us. That you may find daily joy in the reality that the whole Christ, all He is and all He's done, is already forever given and dying and rising love for every saved person so that you will love him more than anyone or anything else. Because if you are in Christ, this is already true about you. And this is tremendously good news. From eternity in glorious triunion, God the Son gave himself holy, and yes, there's a play on words, holy into your place for love, to place you into himself and himself into you for eternity in gospel triunion. We're about to walk together through these four realities pretty fast. Sword drills. Are you with me? Let's pray. Mighty Father, we ask your blessing on our time together in your word today. We confess our frailties of mind, of heart, body, and soul, and ask that your Holy Spirit work powerfully within us to bring truth to light within our minds that we might be forever changed by just one degree of glory as we learn more about Jesus together this morning. We bless you now, Father, for you have so richly blessed us in Christ. 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Let's begin. Our first reality. God the Son is forever given to us from eternity in glorious triunion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Here we see God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John 1, 1 and 2. Here we see God the Father and God the Son, first and second persons of the Trinity. The God who made the world and everything in it, excuse me, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Acts 17, 24 and 25. So much of our struggle in the Christian life is to see God as he is. One day we will. For now, we need to understand that union within the Godhead is essential to his eternal nature. Father, Son, and Spirit are an inseparable triunion of perfect peace and love from forever past. God is one powerful, all-powerful creator of everything, overflowing with grace, needing nothing outside himself for any reason. John Piper writes, God's eternal love in the fellowship of the Trinity was a perfectly God-satisfying, God-glorifying joy. Before there was any creation, God's fullness was on display for God among the persons of the Trinity. And God's fullness was the undiminished delight of the persons of the Trinity. So, the nature of triune love within the Godhead illuminates for us what the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This explains God's uncompromising commitment to loving union with those he made in his own image. Because undiminished delight, God-glorifying joy in the persons of the Trinity forever, is what he made us for. But in Adam, everyone is born into sin. By our fallen nature, already rejecting his love and denying his image. In Adam, we're born spiritually dead. Already divorced, from the loving union with God we were made to enjoy. Well, this inborn disunion opposes God's holy nature and brings forth chaos, hatred, and every kind of evil within creation. God cannot and will not abide such discord forever. But in His great mercy, God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance as Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.9. Only if we are reborn to loving union consistent with God's nature 
may we forever abide with him. So we rightly understand God's justice in this light. The triune God's bright glory and eternal holy love for his creation is so intense and so pure that it requires his judgment upon unrepentant sinners who reject him for who he is and themselves as the purposed objects of his great affection. God is love. Holy love. If the world and everything in it is to be made right again, there must be a perfect union between our holy God and those he made in his image who are purposed to abide forever with him in active holy love. And so, we arrive at the world-shattering facts of God's grace in union with Christ that define eternity for all men and women and finish off our first reality and its application for our lives. From eternity in glorious triunion, Christ is forever given to restore the loving union with God for which he made us. And our love for Jesus grows as we recognize that he gave himself completely to save us for himself exclusively. Which brings us to our second reality. God the Son gave himself wholly into your place for love. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1.23. The union of God and man at the incarnation of Christ is essential to our salvation. Michael Horton quotes John Calvin on Christ forever giving himself to be Emmanuel. Relying on this pledge, we trust that we are sons of God, for God's natural son fashioned for himself a body from our body, flesh from our flesh, bones from our bones, that he might be one with us. The goal of our faith is the triune God, as he is revealed in Jesus Christ, as he is clothed in his gospel. John Stott called it the self-substitution of God. Philippians 2 helps us understand how deeply the whole Christ forever gave himself into gospel union with us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no union with Christ apart from loving communion with his beloved people. So Paul encourages the young church at Philippi to think like Jesus under persecution and remain a loving, unified body through it all. He shows us that God the Son willingly condescended to being born in the likeness of men, even unto a lowly station, and lovingly, lovingly subordinated himself in active obedience to the Father from birth all the way to the cross. In his human nature, he gave himself completely into your place and mine with his whole life, humanity, mortality, poverty, 
disappointment, betrayal, unbearable pain, and a miserable, humiliating death at the hands of miserable little men. He emptied himself of his glory, suffering the injustice of man to fulfill the perfect justice of God in our place, bearing the penalties of death and righteous wrath, which we sinners so richly deserve. He united us with himself in all 33 years of his life so that his atoning work in death and resurrection could apply to us. This is why Calvin taught that Christ began winning our redemption the moment he was incarnate. Ungrudgingly, he took our nature upon himself to impart to us what was his and to become both son of God and son of man in common with us. Our love for Jesus grows as we see him give himself completely, personally, intimately, selflessly, lovingly through it all, devoted to the object of his love, the church of God. And he gave even more, my friends. God the Son immersed himself into our fallen humanity so that he could live and die for us. Turn to Matthew 3. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So here we catch a glimpse of the undiminished delight of the persons of the Trinity. Here again, we see God's pleasure in the union of God and man in the person of Christ. And here again, we see the perfect obedience of Christ, the sinless one who needed no baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Yet down he goes into the water. Not for repentance, for his heart was always turned toward God in love, but to fulfill all righteousness on behalf of all who repent and who are baptized in his name. Down he goes, not for forgiveness, but for a sign of his enfleshment and union with all those forgiven in him for all time. Down he goes, not to be cleansed, for he was already clean, but to signal by his very birth he had already submerged himself into union with the filthy, fallen humanity so that he might bleed and die to make us clean. Christ's baptism is a living prefigurement of the cross where he was immersed into the sins of men and women that we might be immersed into his perfect righteousness and be saved. John Stott, the cross of Christ. The person and work of Christ belong together. If he was not who the apostles say he was, then he could not have done what they said he did. The incarnation is indispensable to the atonement. In particular, it is essential to affirm that the love, the holiness, and the will of the Father are identical to the love, 
the holiness, and the will of the Son, and I would add to the Spirit too. And so we finish off our second reality and its application with the life-giving facts of God's grace in union with Christ. God the Son gave himself wholly into your place in his incarnation, baptism, obedience, and sacrificing death. And our love for Jesus grows when we see him engrafted into his people by his baptism as we behold every believer's baptism. Each immersion, a beautiful reminder of Christ forever given for the love of his bride, the church. Which brings us to our third reality. God the Son is forever given to place you into himself and himself into you. Let's turn to John 17. Jesus praying in the upper room with the disciples the night before he was crucified. We're looking at verses 20, 21, and 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Our union with Christ is God the Father's unhesitating answer to the passionate prayer of his beloved Son. And our hearts should be arrested by this. Jesus expresses his deepest longings that we would be one with the Father and the Son, that we would be filled with the love with which the Father has always loved His only Son, and that we would be in the Father and the Son, which is truly what it means to be in Christ. And His very last petition should make your heart skip a beat. I in them. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, Gethsemane, betrayal, arrest, the cross. Jesus gave himself up there, the just for the unjust. Jesus died for our sins. But he was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Romans 4.25 We must remember we are not justified in the court of our holy God only by Jesus' death. It's no good at all to be united to a dead man. Had sinless Jesus remained dead, God would be an unjust judge, and no one would be justified. We are justified in union with righteous Jesus in his resurrection. When God the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf and declared him innocent on account of his sinless life, we were declared innocent in him. Acts 2.2, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Nor can we be held in the judgment of eternal death 
if by faith we are united with the whole Christ by the Holy Spirit. So in our daily lives, we must, we must never forget the best news of all time. Jesus was raised from the dead, and we were raised with him. Resurrected, together, reborn in the Spirit. Alive, and looking forward to the resurrection of our bodies in glory at the last day. Make this essential to your witness to yourself and to others. The grace of God is this, that by faith in the whole Jesus, you can be justified in the living Christ unto eternal life. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Look for in Christ in your Bible. In him. In the spirit. In Christ. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. Wisdom, godly wisdom for fools. Righteousness for sinners. Sanctification for stumblers. Redemption for transgressors. All this, Jesus now is for us. The Father's loving answer to the earnest prayer of His beloved Son, the night before he gave himself on the cross for us. Can you see now why John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved? Because he can hardly believe the Son of God loves any of us in such a way as to give himself so completely. Let's look at 1 John 5, 4 through 12. John expounds here how we must be united with the whole Christ. 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Verse 6 the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. John remembers Jesus' last prayer request after supper that evening before his anguish in the garden. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints to us, to them, to us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Along with the external proofs of the one who came by the water and the blood and the testimony of God himself, the indwelling spirit of Christ testifies to the truth that John is so desperate for us to see which we find 
Further up in the passage, 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? In God's Son is life eternal. Having the Son Himself brings that life. And whoever does not have the Son of God who gave Himself freely, to be received freely, does not have eternal life. Friends, you need the whole Jesus if you are to know the hope of glory forever and ever. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Our union with Christ is primary, powerful, passionate, permanent, and deeply personal. I got the peace from Keith. <laughs> Holy Spirit sealed within us in Christ. A guaranteed inheritance of intimate familial love together with all who are joined with him forever. If only, if you don't know him, if you will repent of your sins, believe him, be held by him, and cling to him with us, forgiven. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. For us to be saved from his, his righteous wrath, God made Jesus to be sin, made him a curse for all who trust in him. And by this exchange of life, his for ours, we become the righteousness of God in him. Christ's righteousness imputed to us through his union with us. Only in this way can he represent us alive before God as the very righteousness of God, completely forgiven our sins. In Christ, then, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness we must have if we are to abide with our holy God are granted to us, as the catechism says, as if we had never sinned and as if, we, as if we ourselves had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for us, if only we accept this gift with believing hearts. I know of no greater comfort in life or death than our imperishable union with the whole Christ, risen, representing reigning, and returning. And when our already unbreakable bond with Christ becomes real to us, our love for him grows and grows. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Familiar passage. Sinclair Ferguson comments on this passage. When you are in Christ, you have taken a step into a new world order altogether, where everything is different. Absolutely everything is transformed. I'm seeing this waddled in a different eye because I belong to a different world altogether. Terrible Scottish. This reality brings new meaning to something we've just learned together as Rob teaches through Colossians. For you have died and your life, your most true life, is hidden with Christ in God. God's gift of the sacrament of baptism illustrates this marvelous reality of new creation. Turn to Romans 6. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Water baptism is a reenactment of this change already made in us by God through our union with Christ. We go about in Adam all our lives, dead people walking, comfortably breathing the foul air of anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, self-absorption, self-pleasure, self-righteousness, and a host of other lies. Then, by the grace of Almighty God, we are called to be united with Christ by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ in us the moment we believe. At regeneration, we are baptized or immersed into the whole Christ. Long before we announce this reality to a watching world in a horse tank at church, we are already engrafted by the Holy Spirit into everything Christ is and everything He's done. United this way, we die together with Him. In a sense, we gasp together with Jesus on the cross, unable to breathe the familiar toxic atmosphere of insults and God mockery anymore. 
Verse 6, our old self was crucified with him. Down we go with Jesus, buried with him. We are made one with a new humanity, immortal in Christ, brought forth to new life by regeneration of the Spirit. Verse 11, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Up out of the life-giving water we come, cleansed, raised from the dead with Christ Jesus for the joy of eternal union. One foot in a glorious new world order, seeing this upside-down world through transformed eyes, belonging to a different world altogether, the right-side-up kingdom of God in the risen Christ. In Him alone we stand. Our new lungs conditioned for the pure oxygen of life in Christ, but stale air all around. For now, we breathe through the gas mask of dependent prayer. And in Christ, we truly live and move and have our being the whole while the other foot slogging through the muck of a sin-cursed world. This is who we are now. New men and women in Christ, forever forgiven. A whole new human race, more truly human than ever. Redeemed ones, disciples from all nations, every one forever freed from the guilt and the reign of sin. And as we rest in this truth, the Holy Spirit powerfully works within us to live according to who we are most truly, despite how we might feel at any given time. Because our life in Christ doesn't depend on us or what we, what we do. We depend on the one who forever gave himself so completely for us. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, as we learn in Ephesians 5. We trust in Him, and even more, if we're aware of it, we enjoy a bond of love with Him. In time, we want to give ourselves entirely to Him in newness of life, compelled by His love for the joy of pleasing Him. And so we finish off our lengthy third reality and its applications with the life-changing facts of God's grace in union with Christ that do define eternity for all men and women. Christ is forever given to place you into himself and himself into you as the Father's answer to Jesus' prayer and the eternal plan. Our love for Jesus grows when we realize that we need the whole Christ alive in us and ourselves alive in Him if we are to know the hope of glory forever and ever. Our love for Jesus grows as we rest in the reality of our unbreakable union with the risen Christ, the inalterable truth about us right now as new creations in Him. And our love for Jesus grows as we realize we have been raised from the dead with Christ, baptized into a new identity in Christ, 
and a new world order that governs how we live for the joy of pleasing Him. Which brings us to our fourth and final reality. God the Son is forever given for us in gospel triunion. Ungrudgingly, magnificent Jesus has given even more for the holy love of His bride, His church, us. Let's look again at Philippians 2, as promised. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Without missing a beat, Paul connects Jesus' incarnation and obedience unto death to his exaltation and eternal rule over all creation in glorified human form. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. The Jesus we know from the Gospels, the same Jesus, risen, glorified, reigning and representing us, and one day returning and ruling over a reconciled and restored creation. The same Jesus we know from the Gospels. Why would he remain, as Calvin wrote, Jesus Christ as he is, clothed in his Gospel for eternity future? We end where we began this morning. Christ loved the church and gave himself completely in love for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19.9. God the Son so loved us that He gave Himself to be one person in two natures forevermore. Jesus Christ as He is, clothed in His gospel forever, presenting us always in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. Presenting us that way, with us, for us, and in us, Always, even as we are at last perfected to be like him, sinless ones of the sinless one. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. Just as Jesus asked of his father, there in the upper room the evening before he died for our sins. The joyful answer to a passionate prayer that they may also be in us. For all to enjoy God's eternal love in the fellowship of the Trinity. A perfectly God-satisfying, God-glorifying joy in a new creation forever free of the foul stench of sin. 
God's fullness on display for God among the persons of the Trinity in the new heavens and the new earth. In Christ, we are sons and daughters partaking in the undiminished delight of the persons of the Trinity now and forevermore. So to every man and woman in Christ, we can truly say at this very moment, from eternity in glorious triunion, God the Son gave Himself wholly into your place for holy love, to place you into Himself and Himself into you for eternity in gospel triunion. And in gospel union there is ever greater glory. Our love for Jesus grows when we daily behold the forever givenness of the whole Christ in gospel union with us. May you find daily joy in the reality that the whole Christ, all he is and all he's done, is already forever given in dying and rising love for you so that you will love him more than anyone or anything else with us until he returns or takes you home. Christ is risen. Amen.